<laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah? We are about to go not only to space. Yeah. We're going through space to the other side. Oh, nice. There's so much on the other side of space, you don't even know, Elliot. I'm sure you're right about that. But I know everything about space. I know everything there is to know about space, space travel, aeronautical engineering. I know all that stuff. What about on the other side of space? You know about that, too? I know most of us on the other side of space. Okay, okay, great. I've drawn some photos. Uh, You can see them on my website (laughs) if I kept it up to date. Okay. As much as I know, which is everything, Mm. this next gentleman, and I call him a gentleman because he moves very slowly. He's never knocked over anything in his life. He's never (laughs) accidentally broken an object. Right, right. Good. He's a gentle man. This cat knows, I know everything. He knows seven times more than I do. That's astounding. Seven times everything, and he's going to tell us the math, the math of that. <laughs> okay. He knows all Somebody's math. Somebody's got to. Good. All math. Good. I certainly do not. Uh, you want to introduce the show? And yeah. Then we gotta, we gotta jump right into this. Let's guy. do it. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh oh. Robots and cyborgs. No, see now when you say <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you're thinking about those gentle men again. Just very careful. Right? Le- yes. Okay. Ladies and careful men. Okay. <laughs> Robots and cyborgs. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of Day Drinking with Gary and Elliot. I am your host, Elliot Blake. Sitting across from me is my equi-host and possibly a robot, yeah. Gary Anthony Williams. Oh, wow. You spoke my language. <laughs> I am going to cut to the fat and skip over the meat, as we say. Because I don't know if you know how the human body works. It's surrounded by a level of meat Uh and then the fats on the inside. No bones. I didn't know that. Ah, What about the chase? You're going to also cut to the chase? I'm going to cut. I'm going to chase. I'm going to cut to the chase, to the fat, to the... uh. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) Bobak Fredosi. Wow, thank you. Bobak, that must have been the most amazing introduction you've ever had. Almost certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for coming here today. My pleasure. Uh, here's how the show works. Uh, I texted you many times because I love to text. And every time I text you, I'm like, I hope he's in the middle of an important project at work. Sure. And I'm (laughs) going to talk to him about drinking now. Uh, I texted him, uh, probably in his work time, in his private time. Mm. I asked him what kind of drink he wanted. Yeah. He gave me a general idea. Mm. Elliot is going to create you a drink that he thinks you're going to enjoy from his book, Create 100 Cocktails, a home bar guy's deep dive into the art of cocktail creation. And while he creates that drink, before, during, and after, we're going to chit and immediately follow that with a chat. Yes. That's how it goes. Probably about stuff you know about that we don't know about. Okay. Because today is a learning day here at Day Drinking with Gary and I'm going to ask you about your hat. That's more important than space travel. (laughs) Uh, Elliot. Yeah. Let's get to his drink. Okay. Because Bob, he is an impatient man. He's a gentleman. (laughs) (laughs) But he also looks very thirsty. Looks ready, ready for, Mm -hmm. ready for cocktails. And I know you're a bit under the weather. A little bit. So I know this drink should heal him. If I'm this mistaken. drink has some healing properties in that it's got some lemon juice in it, which is full of vitamin full C. Of vitamin and everybody C. knows that just any quantity of vitamin C yep. will cure you instantly of whatever ails you. And Bobak is always afraid of getting the scurvy. 
Yeah. We are. So. And look, and look, the one thing that we do not have happen on this show is, is, is that we do not allow anyone to get scurvy. Nobody's getting scurvy. No one's getting scurvy on, on our watch. watch. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> All right. What, okay. What, what are you making? So, uh, so you told Gary you like a whiskey drink. I do. And uh, now that's a pretty broad category. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, what do I got in my book? Well, there's about 40 whiskey cocktails in there. Uh, and some of them are really heavy duty. Uh, and that maybe you don't want to drink during the day because it'll just make you go to sleep. And, uh, and some of them are a little lighter. And, they'll, you know, and now it's a, it's a lovely spring day here in uh, Los Angeles, California. Uh, it's about 83 degrees. I'm uh, glad you're telling him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, look, I don't know what it's going to be like when this yep. show airs. But right now. Yep. That's what it is, and and I thought you know kind of summary uh, summary drink uh, would be nice. So I'm going to make you something, uh, if folks. If you're playing along at home uh, in the book, this one is called uh, the 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 drinks are in alphabetical order by category. This one's called the Naomi uh, for the person that uh, commissioned the drink. It's also known as the Rye Renewal. Yeah. So uh, yeah. so this is based on a uh, a drink um, called the Bourbon Renewal by a uh, bartender uh, up in Portland, a guy named. Uh, Jeffrey Morgenthaler is a uh, world-class bartender, and uh, the bourbon renewal is bourbon and creme de cassis and lemon juice, and it's a really lovely uh, sour kind of uh, drink. This one, the rye renewal, uses rye instead of bourbon, and it has a combination of uh, a peach liqueur and a uh, blackberry liqueur, mm. and it and so and lemon juice. And Do so, any of those things displease you? No, all those sound great. Okay, okay, and so it's a really nice springy kind of drink, and uh, why don't I? Get to it. making it? Yeah, why don't I make it? The recipe, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, the recipe? The recipe, uh, here, you don't show, I'll, I'll tell you what, folks. I'm going to give you the recipe right now. Okay. Two ounces of rye whiskey. Mm. A quarter ounce of uh, creme de peche peach liqueur. Quarter ounce of creme de moor blackberry liqueur. Uh, an ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice. Half ounce of simple syrup, or in Gary's case, a little agave. Actually, for Gary, I might actually just skip that entirely skip and just increase the quantities of, of the peach and the uh, uh, the blackberry. Okay. Um, and then some Angostura bitters. Shake that with ice. Strain it onto a rocks glass over fresh ice. Uh, and there you have a drink. Uh, we'll post this uh, drink on the uh, show notes and in our, and on our Instagram. So I'm going to get to it. You guys chit. Follow it with the chat. Immediately follow it with the chat. Yeah. And I'll... I'll and then I'll chime in from over here. Godspeed, Elliot. Thank you. Godspeed. Whether you believe in God or not, it's not important to me. No. Godspeed to speed. you. Speed. Yeah. Speed. Uh, okay. Speed, Elliot. I'm going. Speed. I'm going no, but I wasn't, oh. I wasn't ordering you to speed. I'm oh. just saying, do whatever. Ah, just do it. I'm just going to do back. it. Yeah. Hello. Welcome, friend. Thank you. Uh, I met you many, many years ago. I don't even know if you remember when. Yeah. I am glad that you're getting into this because I wanted to know. Because normally... Yeah. Like so far, the vast majority of our guests yes. are people that you have worked with professionally. Yeah. Uh, that are generally in the entertainment industry, like we are. Yeah. Bobak is not. Uh, Bobak is is in the the science industry. Yes, he's in the, the industry of science. In, the industry of science. Yep. So I was very curious, actually, about how you guys met. Uh, a friend of mine is a science fiction writer, uh, Derek mm-hmm. Hughes. I think he brought you to a show I was doing one did, night yes. at the Groundlings. We did. We met then, talked about my son, Ethan, who was about five or six then, being interested in science. And then you were like, hey, bring him to JPL. And I talked to his teacher, and his teacher was like, yeah. We took the day off from school and came down to see you at JPL. It's a pretty fun place to visit. It was. It's awesome. It was amazing. Yeah. It was like, it was for a nerdy, geeky person, it was just the best father-son day. 
That's awesome. Uh, I'm so glad to hear it. Oh, dude, it was fantastic. I mean, you did you did thank me then as well. I mean, not, this is not the first time I've heard no, you enjoyed is, it. No, no, this <laughs> is the first. I wanted to wait all these years later. That was like five years ago. I wanted to wait five years to. I'm on a five year thank you plan. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> because I think when it you really marinated in that well, time. When you do space trip, like you send you send a, a vehicle off into space, it's not there instantly. No. So I'll wait. I'm gonna wait. What takes five years to get to in space right now? About Ooh. where? Uh, probably Saturn. Okay. Yeah. I'm thanking you in Saturn time. That's great. Saturn travel. Yeah. <laughs> and then Elliot, he did another amazing thing. He yeah. came to my son's old school, the Science Academy, and spoke to all the kids one day. I did. Oh, that and is you awesome. became the strongest man in the world. That's right. Uh, I'm <laughs> oh, glad wow. you remember that because that was actually until this day the best introduction I've ever had. <laughs> and then today's introduction was better. He was it, like. I want, how did that how did that come about? How like, did you just introduce him as the strongest man in the world? Did I? Or did you what lift happened? something very I heavy? I believe you asked me what things should I include in your bio, and I was like, just make it sound like I'm very strong. <laughs> and he became that guy to the kids. Uh, think what impresses me about you is you do a lot of community outreach mm-hmm. to the young people, educating them and that sort of thing. Yes. Is there a reason that you do that? Like, did you get into the field of is it aeronautics? What What is your broadly aerospace? aerospace. Um, I got into yeah. So I'm part of it, part of it is definitely I got into it because of you know the the folks that came to our schools over the the schools that I attended over the years. Um, we were lucky enough when I was in middle school to have astronauts come and visit, uh, which is an incredible experience. Uh, it was a were Mary, you, were Mary you near a space station? I mean, not no. Space station, I, so this is weird. This is of all places in uh, in Tokyo, Japan, where I, I went to middle school and high school. Uh, and the, the astronauts, I think were there, I'm not sure. There must've been another reason. There's a, there's a Japan aerospace agency, uh, exploration agency as well. So they may have been out there visiting that and opted. But they were American astronauts in Japan. Yeah, American astronauts. The, I think the first married couple to go into space, which of course the line of questioning revolved a lot around that for middle school students. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's surprising how often the same questions uh, come up in uh, when you're in, in school about yeah. space. Uh, and then, yeah, so I think I, I definitely better from it. I'm also selfishly a little bit doing it right. I mean, there's there's the, the return and sort of returning the favor, but there's also, I very much see the hope for, um, you know, humankind's legacy as this next generation, which so far, I, I got to say, like I'm super impressed by yeah. kids these days. I think so many of my role models happen to be younger than me, which is wow. a pretty great place to be, I think, in life. You're a young dude. And, okay, so I think America and the world's first introduction to you was the landing, the Mars rover. That's landing, right. right, working on Curiosity. That's where most people saw you. You became known as the Mohawk guy and basically the face of NASA. I, I'm sure I'm one of the many faces of NASA. But at that point, but yes, that you was were. The, you, look, you and I can be, we can be coquettish and shy. <laughs> but seriously, when Barack Obama mentions you, yeah. you became, I mean, you were and still are the youthful face of Thank NASA. you, yeah. No, I, it's, I mean, that was an amazing, obviously, experience and um Obviously, hugely unexpected because no one shows up to work at NASA <laughs> thinking, "Wow, I'm going to become a meme," um, or you know, certainly, and, and you know, I think you could certainly expect that at some level the president is going to call to congratulate the team, which I, is fantastic, and and I, I I loved that our moment happened during 
a presidency that was so pro-science yeah. and pro, uh, you know, STEM, STEAM fields that, uh, you know, I think that that congratulations was very sincere. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, I remember walking in the inaugural parade a couple months after that and him pointing excitedly at the rover as, as it drove by in the parade. Wow. So it, it was it was an amazing experience. And I mean, obviously, I, you know, I think as one of the people who got called out, but just it is a still a very surreal experience. It's it's got first of all, you guys did an amazing thing. And then to be acknowledged for that. I just can't imagine the amount of tension that was in that room waiting for that freaking. Because you got you have the, can you break down for everybody? Sure. I know there's that whole, everything goes dead. We don't know how things are right now. Right. So during the, li- so there, there's, you know, we kind of alluded to how far things are in space. Mars is about uh, 50% farther away from the sun than we are. And based on that, uh, there is just there's a, a signal delay from Earth to Mars. Mm-hmm. It kind of varies. It goes anywhere from about four minutes to 20 minutes one way. So during the day of landing, it was 14 minutes, meaning that from the time the rover would send us a signal to the time we received it on Earth would take 14 minutes. 14 minute delay. And, yeah, and so the landing itself, the most the majority of the sequence happens in about seven minutes. Mm-hmm. We call the seven minutes of terror. So you're talking about a an entire event that's happening. And by the time you've heard the the start of the event, it's already been over for seven minutes. And that is the weird uh, experience, which in my mind is slightly, a, you know, I, you talk about the, the nerves. I was absolutely nervous. But there's also this somewhat resigned feeling to it. Because it's happened. That's right. It's happened. It's like taking the test and you're just like, I'm waiting. At this point, I'm just kind of waiting to yeah. see the results of the test. There's nothing I can do to change yeah. this outcome now. Um <sighs> And so I think that helps a lot in terms of of easing some tension. How uh, much sleep did you get like the night before? Not at all. I slept I slept in my office the night before uh, because so I went from working midnight to eight a.m. to then working three p.m. to whatever like roughly ten thirty p.m. when right after we landed, and so. I was like, well, this I don't have time. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the 20 or 30 minutes it takes to get home and back, and you know, an hour round trip, just and try to get that much extra sleep. So, I I slept in my office uh, on a cot, took a shower, and then went to on console. Was, but I mean, you know, at that point I didn't sleep well, obviously, because sure. it's very hard. And I was so full of adrenaline that I think you know I would have I wouldn't be able to stay awake for for any number of things. I, I would imagine that had to be the case for just about everybody on the team. Oh, absolutely! Just so, so pumped just because everything that you've been working towards for I mean, how many years of of, of I mean, there's the building of the lander and figuring out you know and and the rover itself. But like, how many years of planning and then uh, you know went into into that to right. getting to that moment? I joined the team in November two thousand three. And by then, we already had maybe maybe about 50, 60 people working on the project in what you would call kind of early development. So, so sort of the, you know, the napkin sketching, like, what is the concept? How, you know, does it have two arms? Does it have, you know, different sorts of abilities? What is the main goal of the science going to be? Um, you know, when I, when I started, it was actually, we were transitioning from almost a technology demonstration, which we called Mars Smart Lander to Mars Science Laboratory, which is the, the official name for Curiosity. And that brought with it a whole slew of, okay, you know, we really need to be driven by the science. Where do we need to land in terms of that? So that was, you know, almost nine years from the moment that I started working to landing. I think only a few people ended up working a little longer than that. 
Uh, at this point, people have certainly worked longer than that because, of course, we've had six more years of, of yeah. surface operations. But during at the moment of landing, I think there were maybe two or three people in that room who had who had been there for maybe a year or so more than I have. Wow. Uh, so yeah, dec- I mean, a decade for a lot of people. Uh, at, at the very least, everybody you saw, you know, that evening had had worked on the project for I would say three or four years. Yeah. Were there some people in there that from beginning to end that worked the whole stretch of it? I think um, Al Chen, who was the voice of of the landing, uh, he was probably there the longest at the at the time of landing, mm-hmm. uh, and that was probably close to ten years. Wow. Fresh out of grad school, you know, got the job of sort of being the the deputy to the the entry descent landing uh, chief, and then. Yeah, he's he's been phenomenal. He's now leading the entry descent and landing for the next Mars rover. So that's awesome. Wow. Very accomplished. I yeah. I, I remember watching that because I'm a I, I am a NASA guy through and through. I have been fascinated by a space program since I was really small, and uh, and all of the the Mars landings and everything have been just these things that I you know I think just a source of pride as a human, you mm-hmm. know, but also just from a from the standpoint of somebody. You know, grew up reading science fiction and 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 you know watching Star Trek and seeing all those things. Same. It's a. It. I had a feeling, and yeah. it's that it's. You know, th- to me, there's a straight line. You know, from this stuff to to that, and that you to get to that Star Trek future, you have to go. You know, on this on this path, and so to so I was watching. Uh, the curiosity that night. Now I was watching the curiosity, you know, waiting like with everybody uh, who was into it, waiting with bated breath. And I was watching, and I was like, "Oh, this is really cool." I was like, "Hey, wait a second! I think I know that guy." Um, and uh, and it turned out it was Adam Steltzner, yes, who uh, uh, was on. I believe he was on the the crane landing. He was, like that was part. Of his thing was the 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 crane landing, right? Uh, so that the right the sky crane aspect of curiosity uh, along, was him with, along with a, a quite a. You know, a few of the engineers sure, who worked sure. on that, um, and then he had also been part of the two prior rover landings as well, Spirit okay. of no- an Opportunity in two thousand four landings. Got it. So I don't really. I mean, like the only reason that I I knew who he was is because when my uh, son was a baby, uh, we the the daycare center that we went to uh, was the, also the daycare center that uh, he and his wife had their, their oh, right. daughter in, sure. and so she was about six months older. So we were only in the same you know room for for a small window and i met him maybe once or twice at a at a mixer but i thought that guy's pretty cool and i found out he worked for for jpl and i was like it's not just the sideburns that make that guy cool he <laughs> freaking works for, for jpl he's yeah, he yeah. a super sharp guy i mean we yeah, we're we're really lucky obviously that there's so many um people who are, are very motivated and excited and uh, and just incredibly smart it's also very daunting of course to to be part of that, I, I yeah, I can only imagine. I don't know. I mean, like I've been I've been to JPL a couple of times. Once for an open house day, mm-hmm. and then once uh, to to chaperone a field trip uh, for for my daughter's class, and uh, and it's just the most inspiring place. I mean, it, it, to to be like I was like I've looked honestly. It's like I've looked a few times like at the listings. I was like because I'm an animation producer. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I make cartoons for a living, and so but I thought I wonder if there's something that I could do. Like I, I would give that career up. Yeah. To to do to be in this place and to 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 work on these kinds of of missions. I mean, do you mind if we like? I would love to t- chat about that for a second because I think yeah. it's it's often, you know, people think oh the only way to get into a place like JPL or NASA is to be a, an engineer or a, a pure scientist. And certainly that's a very large part of the population. But one of the amazing things is, right, if you watch the Curiosity landing, you'll see animations, of course, and yeah. um, right, so the, the computer-generated graphics that we use to, to you know, describe what we're doing. Also, just to 
help us visualize it. There's a lot of visualization tools. There's a, there's a whole new world now, of course, in augmented reality and virtual reality and how we can start building spacecraft in those ways and understand, you know, to visualize it without having to physically build parts. Um, we have a you know incredible team of media folks who help tell those stories. Yeah. Uh, we have a you know a, a, a department that really does help us, you know, with our artists and folk like that to to understand some of the stories that we are trying to tell as engineers and scientists. Uh, and I think that's uh, an often you know underappreciated aspect of where we are. And you know I, I love highlighting that because I I really enjoy the creativity those people bring to the process as well as you know, I, I, I'm the same person. I think had I not been an engineer, I still would have wanted to be part of this yeah. experience. I, and then the other thing I could bring to NASA is, is I can make drinks. Yeah. So I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to shake these. Yes. I'm going to shake these right shake now. Shake it up. Shake it up. And I, I wanted to ask you, you were talking about being, growing up a Star Wars, not Star Wars, you said Star Trek. I'm, I'm more of a Trek, okay. Trek than a Star I love both, but I'm definitely more Trek than Star Wars. Was there ever that day when you started actually working in your field when you realized, oh my God, I'm here. I'm doing that thing. I'm in that field of that thing that I grew up loving. I mean, I think it's it started before then, right? I think it's it's kind of the same point, which is that I do at some level feel like we are trying to create that version of the future, right? Uh -huh. We are, there's, curiosity was a unique moment, but it was also just this human moment, right? That I felt very much, dis despite the fact that this is part of the American space program, uh, that we were truly doing this as a human endeavor. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the, ro the rover actually reflects that. We have contributions from, you know, uh, Russia, from Spain, from France, from Canada. Uh, so we we were a truly multinational rover as well, but I th I think you know that contribution is very much. I, I love the idea that when we look back on Earth, that we get the perspective from you know particularly from the other worlds uh, like Mars and, and and Jupiter and Saturn, that it does really drill home how connected we all are, and, and mm -hmm. that that's the beauty of that kind of utopian Star Trek, right? Which was oh these you know, these differences between us, right? The fact that you have a, a, a Chekhov on sharing a bridge with a Kirk, mm -hmm. um, you know, that was a, a wonderful thing. Uh, and I think still, still very much feels like the, mm -hmm. you know, the emotional legacy that I think a lot of people who work in space exploration feel yeah. still today. It, it is absolutely fascinating to an outsider to go there and realize the things that what is the big white room where, where the where clean room high bay you the, went to yeah we saw high bay one which is the main clean room to think that thing that they're in there working on right now soon is going to be so far away from our world yeah. and going out there learning about other places it's amazing it's it's science fiction <laughs> but it's science it's science reality it is it's also i i love that room because it's a it's a true reminder that each of these spacecraft is handcrafted and it's a human spacecraft right it is built by people for mm -hmm. the knowledge of people it is at no point a highly robotic uh -huh. you know it doesn't doesn't generate out of a whatever a matrix or anything like that like literally you'll see people with wrenches you know torquing bolts yeah. um and i think that's kind of the most it's it's this delightful almost quaint at some level, but also just a, a stark reminder that this is really a human endeavor. It's quaint for something that's going to be barreling through space. Sure. <laughs> the 13,000 miles of <laughs> right. entry. Uh, 
Elliot, what's the name of the drink? All right, this is the Rye Renewal. The Rye Renewal. So, and I let's uh, I'm gonna let's toast to uh, let's toast to space exploration. Right, fantastic. I'll, Cheers. I'll toast to that. I'm not afraid of that. Cheers. No, hell no. My favorite thing. Oh, that's very good. Oh. That's that a good one. I like very refreshing. It's very refreshing. Yeah, he seems very proud I, of himself. I, 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 <laughs> I like Maybe that one. I like that one a lot. I this one. There, my wife likes this one too. So like, I, this is one that I know uh, goes goes over well mm-hmm. because my wife likes it, and she is a she's got the best taste. She of only likes the best stuff. She only likes the best stuff. So, yeah. so a- after you you got off the Mars. You 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 sent it to Mars. Sent it to Mars single handedly. You did, <laughs> That's right. you did your job. Yeah, you walked in the parade. I assume you had a beautiful bowl of split pea soup with the president. I wish that I had a bowl of split pea soup. That would have been an amazing experience. I really yeah. thought that happened. Uh, what what did you do after the? Mars project because I know later you worked on Europa. I did. So was I actually, that immediately after? that was the next project after after Mars for me is that I worked a, about a almost a year of surface operations, uh, which was a, a good experience I think for me uh, to learn from my early part of the project and understanding some of the choices that we made in early design and how they impact the operation of a rover. It's very rare, I think, for most people to spend that long on a project. It's probably not the best career decision um, in terms of hmm. if you want to keep progressing, it's probably smart to, you know, as you grow and learn more to move on to, to new things and take the, the promotions. There are promotions. I mean, there were still promotions within Curiosity, but I think it was just fascinating to me to see the, you know, the, the early development all the way to the, imp, you know, the impacts of those choices. And then, right, the next thing was to work on this Europa Clipper mission which is still ongoing. And what is what is the purpose of that mission? So Clipper, uh, Europa Clipper follows in the footsteps of, of really of a couple of, of previous Jupiter missions, which were the, the Voyager missions that flew by, uh, and then uh, the Galileo mission, which spent kind of the late 1990s, early 2000s in the Jupiter system or Jovian system. And what Galileo did is it, you know, it kind of did this, orbit generally of Jupiter and flew by the moons of Jupiter uh, in really largely the four what we call the large Galilean moons of Jupiter of which the second of these is Europa and it's mm-hmm. it's it's this world that we you know began to be able to piece together kind of a scientific story about right so you've got this kind of Goldie this new Goldilocks zone in the moons right so if you think about the Galilean moons you've got Io which is the closest of the, the Jovian moons hugely volcanic world it's you know there's hundreds of volcanoes on the surface of it uh if you go out farther to ganymede callisto they're much colder they're icy they uh you know they look very much like solid chunks of ice that you know we can see the asteroid impacts that have hit hit them on the surface Mm -hmm. and then in this kind of sweet spot in the middle is europa and as voyager flew by and galileo flew by it we realized one it's got a very smooth surface which indicates something is changing the surface of this moon Mm -hmm. and two we would sense this magnetic field from europa and a magnetic field typically like ours is is generated from a a dynamo in the earth there's effectively a molten core that's spinning and that spinning metal core creates this large magnetic field Mm -hmm. europa doesn't have that magnetic core so the only way for it to really show a magnetic field was is if it's resonating with jupiter's large magnetic field and so as europa would travel around jupiter we would see its magnetic field fluctuate Uh uh, corresponding to jupiter's magnetic fields and that implies that there's got to be some transport of electrons and ions 
which is how your battery, for example, work, right? Electrons and ions flow, uh, which implies there's got to be liquids. And that was kind of the dawning of this idea that Europa has this icy shell that we could see, but probably a relatively liquid surface below that. Uh, and and that is kind of forms the basis. Now, we've also learned that happens in a number of places. Uh, Saturn's moon Enceladus, Titan. Uh, it's happening at the outer planets. Pluto even probably has a, an, a water uh, So why layer. Europa then? Well, Europa, I mean, it's part of its timing. Um, you know, we... We like to follow our mission. So Voyager is right, kind of this grand tour of the solar system. We hit all the planets, not all of them, but, you know, all of them a little bit. Uh, and then we followed that up with Galileo dedicated to the Jupiter system. We followed that with Cassini at Saturn dedicated to the Saturnian system. Now you're like, well, okay, now that we've narrowed down the field, this moon in particular, Europa, is really fascinating. Let's go there. And I'm sure that we'll see that also, you know, with, with Saturn. You know, there are a lot of proposals now to um, Titan. For example, one of them is a, a uh, essentially a drone, right? A, 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 I think it's an octocopter flying through the thick atmosphere of Titan. Um, there's a number of probes t- designed to go to Enceladus to look for life. These are all proposed at this point, but, you know, they, they will probably get picked up in the next decade or so. Uh, with Clipper, I think the thing is, you know, we kn- we've known about Europa for a little bit longer. Also, it's a very compelling story in that we think that sort of the the models that we have that would explain Europa indicate that it's probably been a water ocean below the surface for billions of years. So you have both the time aspect of I can get collisions of things in water and maybe form amino acids, maybe form you know more complex things, we certainly hope, uh, and energy, so it's something keeping it warm so it keeps it liquid. You've got chemistry. We know that there's interactions both between the surface of Europa, things like from Io's plumes that are coming out to Europa, settling on the surface, as well as we think a rocky core. So all these things combined together to kind of give you this this stew that we think has been boiling. Boiling is you know maybe a strong word, but the stew that's been heated slowly for billions of years. Mm-hmm. And if you believe that life shows up as this, you know, this combination of time plus energy plus chemistry, then Europa's got one of the best chances in the solar system to do it. Wow. Uh, and I think I think that's very true. Again, you know, Enceladus is very compelling. Titan is very compelling. I would love to see us do more missions to all these places. Uh, but Europa certainly seems like a very good place to start. Uh, and we, you know, we have a lot of the development. The the, the team at, at JPL and the Applied Physics Laboratory in, in Baltimore, the, the two teams have been working, you know, hard together to come up with a really compelling design mm-hmm. that is also right. The other part of this is, can you make it for a reasonable cost? Yeah. And I think the answer was, yeah, we found a, we found an architecture, um, in part also, again, thanks to Cassini and Galileo, that you could fly by Europa without having to orbit Europa. And this was like the game changer for that enabling technology, right? If you orbit Europa, you're sitting in the radiation of Jupiter. You can only last for a few months. It destroys the spacecraft. And you're like, well, I've only seen it for three months, and I have to spend some of my time sending data to Earth. If you fly by Europa you get the trick of only having to dip into the radiation of Jupiter for a little bit at a time, and then you spend a lot of your time away from the radiation, you send back data to Earth, and then you prepare for the next flyby. So you just keep you just keep going up to it, getting info, getting out of there. That's right. And we're flying close. I mean, at the closest flybys that you know, I've seen were 25 kilometers above the surface. Wow. So very close. I mean, that is... You know, that's walking distance. Wow. If you could, if you could, so if you could walk in, yeah, in space. So Clipper is Clipper just passing by, is, or is there something that's going to land? On? No, this one is just the passing by. Okay. There is also a team of folks working on a Europa lander that's a little farther out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is also a challenge in that 
right now the best resolutions that we have of the surface of Europa are about nine meters per pixel. So that when you, you know when you think about I want to land something on the surface of another world, you kind of need to know what it looks like at the scale of your lander, mm-hmm. right? And with Apollo, we did that actually by launching effectively spacecraft missiles at the moon and taking pictures until the moment of impact uh-huh. uh, and trying to get pictures down to the scale at which, oh, a lander can now tell, oh, this is a relatively smooth surface. Right. I can land an object here or it's highly rocky or it's super dusty and you're mm-hmm. going to sink in when you get there. And that's still a concern when we talk about other worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so oh, Europa has got a lot of challenges, but uh, yeah, solvable challenges, but we just need to go out there. Uh, now, yeah. how many times? Oh, I got so many questions. <laughs> First of all, let me just ask you this. My question is about how many times. Sure. Get that. Yeah. Do you ever get sick? Because to me, this is heaven. I get to ask <laughs> the guy who's there. Do you get sick of answering questions about? No, I mean, I really enjoy this. Obviously, I wouldn't I wouldn't have chosen this for a career. And I don't think I would have stuck with it for a career if I didn't really love it. And the, the you know, and, and the people that we get to work with. Because if you get sick of us asking, you can throw your drink in. Sure. <laughs> Fair. How many times will you get that flyby? That get in there, dump, get out. So I'm not on the team anymore, but the last count, and I and I assume it's it's stayed relatively close, is uh, just over 40. So somewhere about 40 to 45 flybys of Europa. And then does radiation destroy it? After so that, that is that on? is where the models show that we should have gotten a radiation dose at which it becomes risky. Now, what we can actually do, of course, is determine how much radiation we've really seen and see if we could keep going. Uh-huh. But you know, one of the one of the caveats with this is. We're going there to understand whether Europa is habitable, right? Essentially, whether it could support life. We will not be able to detect life necessarily from this orbit or from the the, the instrument suite. We kind of kind of have to write. If you you think about, I can only carry so much instrumentation with me. I've got to pick a core set of questions to ask, and that is, in this case, habitability. Is Europa a, a moon that could support life? Mm-hmm. And then you can go there with the follow up. Does it support life? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you carry that instrument suite. You, one of the problems is if you find that Europa is extremely habitable, which we think it is, you then also have this obligation to not contaminate it with life from Earth. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you have to design a spacecraft that's not only capable of doing its mission, but also capable at the end of the mission of putting itself in a place that it cannot deposit Earth life onto the surface of Europa. And mm-hmm. you're, talk, you know, you're talking about a mission that's deliberately, deliberately flying by Europa. Of course, that doesn't mean that we would eventually come back into contact with Europa if we were just a dead spacecraft orbiting in space. Uh-huh. So you have to find up basically a, a you know decommissioning plan that puts you into to Jupiter itself mm-hmm. or maybe one of the other moons, um, depending wow. on what you think is the best choice. Holy crap! So they can they can hopefully. I mean, I would love to see that mission get extended. Obviously, once it's out there, that's a big if. But you know, yeah. we got we got the right folks uh, yeah. at, at you know at our two centers who are working on it to understand that risk and to, you know, to make the right call to whether it's safe to keep going or not. Now, you, I know you've moved on from the Europa project, mm-hmm. and I'm going to talk about that, but I want to ask you, are you jealous about other people getting to the dark side of the moon right now? Like, did you want to go, damn it, <laughs> I mean, I thought of that. I'm jealous of all space missions, honestly, <laughs> because wouldn't it be great if I could just somehow participate in all of them? Uh, let's, I mean, so let, diving into that, right? So China sent something to, the, to what we call the far side of the moon because it's, Okay, not technically side. the dark side, right? It sees the sun right. occasionally too, um, but the dark side, of the, or the far side of the moon, uh, and that, yeah, that was a. I mean, that's a technological achievement. Certainly, it's also enabled by the fact that they had to send an orbiter out there to, to you know, to basically provide communications, right? Because from that side, you don't ever see Earth, 
and therefore you can't radio directly back to Earth. So you mm-hmm. need something sitting there to kind of be your relay satellite. Uh, it, but it's a, an incredible accomplishment, and you know the you know the the, the rover. I, I will say you know to to whatever it makes me feel a little bit better is it does look surprisingly like some of our rovers. Oh, really? I mean, there is also Copy sort of a, cats. they all sort of end up looking the same at the end. But I mean, I'd like to believe at some level that our designs somehow influenced yeah. their rover design. Um, so, yeah, but yes, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm always jealous because I, I, you know, I think when I was in college or even high school, I thought, oh, I'm going to work on so many missions, uh, not really realizing that they took, you know, five, 10 years to, to develop, right. If not longer in many cases. And, uh, and sometimes, right. If you're talking about the outer planets, Jupiter, Saturn, you know, Pluto, Pluto took nine years to get there from earth. I mean, that's just a long time. That's, you know what that is? Nine years. That's nine years. Yeah. I don't know if you know that math. Nine years <laughs> equals nine years, and I, that's a long time. I yeah. find I, I I I again this. I think this goes back to the amount of science fiction that I read. I get very impatient. Me too. You know, because it's like I just feel like, well, why why can't we go faster? And we I just, get I get why we can't go faster. I understand that there are physical limitations to what we can do right now. Yeah. But man, I was like, come on, let's. But warp drive, maybe. Really, the answer is build people that live longer, and then nine years sure. doesn't seem that much. Hmm. You got point. a two hundred year old dude, like nine years, like yeah, okay, yeah, man. all right, yeah, it doesn't seem so bad. Yeah. Uh, now you've moved on. You're like, screw it. I'm done with Never. Europa. No, I love no. Europa, and I very much told the team and the folks that I worked with when I left that, like, you know, I, I very, very likely saw myself coming back here in a few years. But I, yeah, I left for, I'm not going to call it greener pastures, but I think pastures that suited what I wanted to get out of my career personally a little bit better. Uh, and that was a, a new job that I thought was going to be more challenging and I would learn a lot more from and then, uh, you know, grow hopefully into the, the better engineer that when I go back to Europa, then I would be, you know, like the best version of myself that I could be. So, uh, and, and I know that there's a lot of stuff you can't tell us, so I need you to tell us everything. Of course. All, <laughs> of it. All the NASA JPL secrets. Right. What is, uh, what's your new mission and what is your position in the new mission? So I'm working on NISAR, which is an acronym made up of acronyms because it's not space if you don't actually include acronyms. Uh, NISAR stands for the NASA ISRO. So that's, uh, of course, NASA is our space program. ISRO is India's Space Research Organization, which is India's space program. Uh, and SAR, the last part of that is a synthetic aperture radar. So what we've, that, that, and that alludes loosely to the fact that we have a radar on our spacecraft, but the synthetic part of it means that we, effectively make it look like a much larger radar by using the time domain as we fly over stuff to create what we what we call it like a, a larger radar. And so this is, you see this actually in other places. So another example, a similar example of this that people probably better understand are if you've ever seen like the movie Contact or you've seen any of these um, observatories that are multiple antennas that are mm-hmm. smaller, kind of arranged and they're yeah. all pointing at the same thing. Yeah. Those are effectively creating a much larger radar uh-huh. by all looking at the same time uh-huh. at the same place and you can combine that information. And we can do the same thing because we are moving in space. So we can observe something and then because we're orbiting, we're going to move a little bit downrange, but we could still observe what we were last observing and start making new observations. So you kind of create this uh-huh. effectively larger radar. Uh-huh. Uh, wow. And that allows us to Seeing resolve. Seeing the same thing from a whole bunch of different What you're really areas. looking at is almost echoes at that point of what you pulsed as the radar before. Interesting. But it's a very clever technique. That's, it's been used on Earth for a while. We've, we've, this is not the first synthetic aperture radar. It's certainly been many orbiters that have done this. Um, we're, we're, we're obviously advancing the state of practice and I think in that field. Um, but 
right? The idea would be to observe the earth, look for environmental changes like forestation loss, like shoreline changes, like ice melt, uh, and better characterize those, as well as being able to respond. What's incredible is we can really, you know, we can observe very relatively small things, cars, people even, um, not necessarily, I can't see your face, but we can tell also, for example, if an earthquake has happened or anything else, we can see what buildings have potentially collapsed, things like that. Wow. So you could really use this real time. And we, we, we see the same swath of the earth every 12 days. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also tilt the spacecraft and do other things. So if there was a, you know, a catastrophe in a city, for example, you could angle your flyby so that you got more resolution, not necessarily at the highest resolution, but you know, get more frequent coverage of a, a place and be like, oh, these buildings have collapsed. Send your resources here. So it's a pretty incredible way of looking at the earth. Radar is, uh, it is a little bit of the dark arts for me. I'm still learning very much how radar works because it's, there's a, a lot of noise in this signal that you get back. And it's all comes down to the amount of processing you can do of this signal and uh, understanding basically from that, creating, you know, a map, a three-dimensional sort of, you know, a, a topographical map of this, this region. Um, but yeah, it's very cool to me. And it's, it's, I, you know, again, so the job, sorry, cause you asked a, a big question. Why did I swap? The job is, uh, an area called fault protection, which is this area of, of spacecraft where we look at how they can fail and try to either prevent some of those failures by including redundancy, like putting two computers on board, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, intelligently deciding if something is going bad to, you know, stop our actions and establish a safe state until the earth can fix the problem. And uh, it's this extremely challenging thing that I always, you know, think of as the best way to understand how things work is to have them break and try to repair it. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, uh, many of the people that I worked in that domain on, on Curiosity and Clipper are some of the most, you know, incredible folks that I've, I've worked with at JPL. I think some of the sharpest, you know, people. And I was like, I want to be, you know, I want to be in the big fish pond. Like, I want to try to to swim with th- these folks. Um, and so this mission both presented the opportunity and an opportunity in my mind that, you know, I, I, I think earth science is often undervalued. And I was like, this is a great, you know, way for me to work on a mission that has more direct impact on, yeah. on people on our planet. Is this the first time that you've worked on a project that's really focusing on earth as opposed to... My first time, yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if you're... The pro- that project is working on NISAR? NISAR. NISAR. Yeah. Uh, I know that there's been a shifting of our magnetic field lately, right? I'm not the expert in this. I've, I've certainly heard something similar to that effect, yeah. Will will what you're doing ma- be mapping any of that, or is it mostly surface? No. Uh, there are there are missions that look more specifically at magnetic fields. Um, if, if my understanding is correct, that magnetic field shift and or uh, eventual polarization so swap flip, yeah uh it's just part of the natural cycle of things i heard it's natural but it will mess crap oh i'm sure it will it swamps. yeah i mean we're we're very much biased towards a system of information <laughs> that assumes the north pole is where the north pole is yeah. um and of course you know if all those calculations have to change then you know we're not it could it could be like i don't think it's going to be as bad as what we predicted y2k was going to be but i think it you know it certainly has some implications for how you know how we use gps and how we use other things in order to well even even now i heard it it moves at like 30 maybe north pole moves at about 30 feet a year or something i think it does that's right i've seen and it's yeah yeah. i've heard that too 
But uh, the the whole flipping though that will that could be it could be it could be annoying. I'm ready yeah. for it. Yeah, guys. yeah. I, just like Y2K, okay. I prepare oh, for the, right. I okay. prepare for the swap. All right, you've yeah. got you've got all the you got all your vegan jerky. I got my vegan jerky. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need. That's all you need. A big that's one like, bag of vegan jerky. Vegan Let me tell you when we when when Y2K, true story. When Y2K was coming was coming around, uh, and I like my wife and I we did not do much in the way of preparations for it because like i was like kind of skeptical about all the doomsday scenarios and but i thought you know what let's just have a case of water and i got a bag of turkey jerky and i thought oh, all right <laughs> we'll be all right for a few days yeah and because uh, we'll, we'll have to work through everything else first the turkey jerky was was like the bag of last resort right i figured by the time we got to the jerky like if we got to the jerky there was that, then we would that, really now it's time to worry. now it's time to worry <laughs> so um I have, a, I have a question. We've been talking about the, the work that you do, but mm-hmm. I think, uh, I, well, I don't understand. And I think a lot of people don't know quite what, you're a systems engineer. That's right. What does that mean? So systems engineer, I think, refers loosely to my responsibility. Well, you think, uh, Bob, uh, yes, do sir. you not? <laughs> yeah, I not know <laughs> my job. Know you, when you go to work, do they have to lead you to your desk? Uh, they do. <laughs> I'm easily lost. My building is too is... symmetric. Guys, don't trust NASA anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize this was going over there. Uh, no, it's, I mean, I think you'll find folks with certainly a diff- little bit, you know, variation on the definition of what that job is. I, my opinion of, of that responsibility is, is kind of twofold. One is to look at the system, right? The I'm not going to call it the 10,000 foot level, but at a higher level of how the system is supposed to work. So you've got experts in all sorts of fields like telecommunications, thermal management, power management, you know, the computational resources that we have on board, flight software, all these different things that are working at various levels. And as a system engineer, my job is to both define how that's intended to work so that then I can go back and test and show that it does work that way. And two, then to characterize the system uh, of, of what we've built so that when people have to operate it, that they truly understand it. Mm-hmm. The other part of that job is I, th- I, I feel like we're responsible of enabling things to happen. So whether that be science, certain science that we want to do, uh, right? My job is, again, to go back to the system and say, like, how can we, from a systematic perspective, understand how we enable more science, right? And in Curiosity's case, you've got folks, and there's a number of system engineers, and, and even there's system engineers, even in the domains, right? There's a the entry, descent, and landing system engineers, as well as the folks working in the radar that's actually looking at the ground. So each of those has different layers of system engineers. But the goal would always be to, okay, the science wants to do certain things. They want to land anywhere from you know plus or minus 60 degrees uh, latitude. We said, well, probably can't quite get you there, but how about plus or minus 45? Would that be pretty enabling? Uh, and so right to go back and push on our own design, because I think engineering, a lot of times we might be a little bit more conservative just to ensure the highest reliability of the system, mm-hmm. but not necessarily, that that sometimes can conflict with the most science possible. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, you know, I think the responsibility is for us to kind of be the tension of the system, right? Just to keep it safe, but also how do we, how do we enable better science? How do we do the mission that the scientists really want to do? And also when to push back on the scientists and say, you're taking on too many risks, we need you to, you know, to figure out a way to descope something so that we can ensure that you get the mission you want still. Oh. Uh, and I, and so it's fun. I, I like to think of my job as enabling these missions, right? Oh, at the end right. of the day. That's really cool. D- did you major in engineering? What was your... I did. Okay. So I studied aerospace engineering or some, some departments called aeronautics and astronautics. 
Um, I, th- I think the engineering term makes more sense to me since I didn't really focus on the, the science of, mm-hmm. of this uh, and I didn't go into the, you know, how do fluid dynamics work mm-hmm. uh, that some folks really went into. And from a super long age? A uh, super young age you were? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I liked science for a very long time. I actually started out a little bit more in the physics world because I, I really do, I'm still inquisitive about how things work. Mm-hmm. Uh, engineering is a pretty good way of, of figuring out how things work, but it's more practical in many cases than some of the science stuff that I was studying. Uh, and so I, I think I quickly realized that the parts of science that I loved most were the building of things and you know, trying to figure out from that level how things work, not the more theoretical or experimental physics level where it's like, oh, I need to improve our understanding of something maybe to, you know, a little better degree or measure something a little bit more precisely. Um, and, you know, that, that I'm glad that I, I started in physics because I think it helped me figure out a little bit better what I was interested in. Yeah. Or sometimes I think if you start too close to what you want, you end up being there even if it's not the right thing for you. Uh-huh. Um, but being in an area that was adjacent but not the right one helped me a lot. You, you were talking about that you were loving what you were seeing out of the kids nowadays. Mm-hmm. I mean, you started out, like you said, your, your interest was from a young age. What are you seeing in these kids now that gives you that? Because, you know, so many people complain, they too much screen time and they don't talk to each other and blah, 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 blah. What is it that you're seeing in, in, in our youth I think a couple of things. One is a lot more empowerment than I've ever felt, certainly as a young person. I think there's a couple of things that have led to that conclusion on my part. I don't, you know, right? It's hard to, I don't have the statistics here to say this is actually make happening. I'm going to make them up. Can I, can I explain <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much whatever you say, people are going to believe. That's perfect. Make up your numbers. Right. Fantastic. Uh, create new numbers that don't exist now. Oh, I like that. Yeah, a friend droid. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. I don't get it. It's your... Uh, I think one of those was uh, right. Most most impressively was going to the White House Science Fair uh, and seeing people who are you know any you know young yeah all the way from six seven eight to sixteen seventeen eighteen who were working on these experiments and did not really take no for an answer. Uh, you know, a couple of folks come. There was a, a young girl that I met who was working on developing better biofuels and she was literally putting algae in you know dishes under her bed at night and like trying to figure out if she could create a better fuel there's a young man uh who was working on a test for pancreatic cancer and had you know written to i think it was like 200 different labs university labs and saying can i get a little lab space i i have this idea you know the test for pancreatic cancer that are currently used are very only good at late stages and you know he was like I, I had an uncle who died i wanted to work on this problem sure enough found a lab and found a very cheap relatively effective early test of pancreatic I cancer just, i just heard wow. about this last yeah week. so kid. jack andreka fantastic kid that's great that's uh, and these kids feel so much more empowered to do something and i think part of that honestly is the screen time i think part of it is the awareness of the world that i don't think i necessarily had right we didn't have the social mediums that exists today and the ability to just ingest knowledge uh, that I think kids do today. And they can become experts or at least very close to experts in a much faster time yeah. than we can, right? I went to school for, you know, six years, right, with a bachelor's and master's to get an aerospace degree. And I still go to YouTube half the time to understand <laughs> how certain things work. Or I go online, right, to Wikipedia to get a, you know, a better you know, dis- description of a certain system that I don't have the knowledge of. And that's just built in, I think, 
to mm-hmm. the younger yeah. generation. Yeah, for sure. And so I look at them and I'm like, there's there's just, again, I you know, I also feel very fortunate to not be in the younger generation because I think, boy, it looks like it's a rough <laughs> period ahead of us. But again, I just, I don't think there, I don't feel like there's been a better equipped generation yeah, uh, and more ready for the challenges. And right, and I mean, and it, you know, came out with the, the you know the school shootings and these kids you know leading massive protests and and they went back and they said like what are the first principles of these problems like what are the what are the the not where are we today but what is the how did we get here what is the basis for the decisions that have led to this point mm-hmm. and can we can we challenge the fundamentals right like let's not let's not try to band-aid the problem let's actually go back to the grassroots yeah. element mm-hmm. of the problem and i think that's incredible whether you agree or disagree on you know on, on any number of political causes I really just think it's amazing that they would go back to these ground principles. And I'm, I, you know, I want to encourage them and I want to be there to support them. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I look forward, like I said, I look, really look forward to what they're going to do. You brought up kind of this situation twice and I don't know how much, we don't have to go into it that deeply, but you were saying that when Obama was president, there was, there was more of that support for the sciences. I think so. Right now. Yeah. And, and you saw like STEM yeah. and STEAM yeah. really blow up those the, those yeah. programs. Now, how concerned are you right now in general uh, with defunding or any of that stuff? Well, or do you think? Yeah, because I feel like we're very much in you know an anti-science uh, uh, swing. It feels, that it feels that way. I mean, it, I'm glad that that you still feel heartened by it. And it's like like your son and my son are both kind of very science-minded kids and um you know so in that regard i like i feel pretty good but like i but you know you like yeah you don't have we don't have to go too deep into it but it just certainly feels like like uh there is a real bias against being smart and and a bias against science right now and i wonder how that uh impacts the kind of work that you guys are trying to do at nasa at nasa jpl sure so let me well then i I mean so right we should officially say these i'm going to say things these are certainly not the opinions of nasa jpl this is literally yeah these are my this is me speaking on 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 my behalf um so i certainly don't want to throw any you know get anybody into hot water uh i mean so just broadly speaking i you know i think that there are again i i still believe that we are seeing the the you know one of the best generations uh, I think that it's going to work independent, fortunately, of whatever administrative policies are implemented. Um, you know, to its credit, the administration's funded space program very well. Uh, but, you know, we've certainly seen some challenges, I think, overall to various aspects of that. Uh, I personally, you know, feel like we're in a pretty good position. Like, I, I do believe that based on, you know, some of the, like, the public opinion polls and things that I've seen that, you know, the, the, the masses do want earth science. They do want environmental, you know, protections. They do want all those things to, to continue, that that's what they think some of the responsibilities of government should be. So I feel pretty good mm-hmm. about that. Um, I mean, I, I can't say that I feel like I've personally been affected in any significant way. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, my personal politics are, are a little bit more left-leaning, but... You know, I, I, I would welcome with open arms if the administration says, listen, we're going to continue the science fair and we're going to continue all these things because at the end of the day, it's not, you know, a political thing. It's I want to see this empowerment of kids continue. I want to see the empowerment sure. of science continue. I want to see as a nation, 
regardless again of the outcome, I want us to be able to have the conversation and all be able to, you know, to share the, the literacy of science and together. And that's, you sure. know, you, you kind of alluded to why, one of the reasons why I do outreach is because I think I want people to be part of that conversation. I am willing to acknowledge that my opinions may not be the end outcome of these conversations. Sure. Um, but I, at the very least, I want people to make the informed choice, right? Yeah. It's not it's not about, you know, what I want, but what I, you know, if, if we can at least agree that having the conversation is important and being able to understand the conversation is important, then great. Let's, let's as a nation, as a world mm-hmm. come to the, you know, the consensus. So, you know, like, you know, just, I know I'm sort of dodging a little bit of the political question. No, here, but no, 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 well, it, look, no. yeah, we don't um, want to get you in hot water. But yeah. I, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I think that there's, there is certainly some optimism to be had. Um, I, I, you know, I would love, like I said, I would love to see in every election and every, you know, as part of the political process for us to evaluate, you know, what is important to us as a society and including those scientific principles, including those, you know, those, uh, what, what do we want our government to be working on? What do we want the research funding to be like for these things to, con- mm-hmm. you know, to be part of that conversation? Yeah. Right. And I, and again, you know, I think the government and, 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 you know, my own, organizations that I work for are there to serve the people. So, you know, at the end of the day is we'd like to see, you know, 800 satellites that are earth orbiting that are doing constant monitoring. Hey, we should be doing that. Sure. Um, So I I encourage the debate and dialogue. And um, again, I, you know, we're in the good position that, that at least the money is good for, for space exploration. That's great. Yeah. If, If you had one rather in, like you've worked on Mars, Europa, and now you're you working on this project focusing towards Earth. Mm-hmm. Is there like a dream project of well, yours that yeah. you would like to? I mean, I've got a few bucket list, I feel like, sort of space projects. But once uh, again, if you design yourself to live longer, you don't have to worry yeah. about that. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, Think, well, right. Maybe that should be a dream project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the, instead of asking for a one wish, I just like a wish for many wishes. Yes. That's the problem I've been doing. Uh, or, so, I mean, a couple of things. I think there's a couple of places that I would love to visit with robots, not myself. Um, one of them is the surface of Venus. I, I, Why is that? It's these, and these both at some level come down to a little bit of an engine. I mean, Venus certainly is more of, from my perspective, it's a place that we don't, we haven't been back to really in, in earnest since the eighties. And I think it's often under, you know, undervalued as a, as a really interesting place the fact that it has some significant impacts to, uh, you know, the 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 runaway um, greenhouse effects and things like that, and you know, we can certainly learn from from that. But also from a technical perspective, how do you design a mission that can survive extreme heat and live long enough to perform meaningful science? Is a really cool an interesting challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one alluding to, of course, Europa. I wrote my senior paper in college about Europa, and I would love to see a subsurface probe. Um, Amen. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I want to see that. I, I just I really want to know what it's like below the ice. And um, and I think that one, of course, I mean, right, the, the, the secret, the, the back of the, you know, the, the hopes you dare not sort of say for fear that they don't become realized is to, you know, it's to find life. Yeah. Um, I have no, I look, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I have no doubt that there is life out there. I same. have no doubt. There right. can, it's not possible for 
us to be the only place where life flourished in a universe in a gap forget the universe in a galaxy as big as what we were the milky way with so many stars and so many systems it's just not possible i think that and 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 we're really fortunate to live in this time where we've proven that right that 21 22 years ago we only could hypothesize about planets around other stars right now we live in a time where we are confident that there is a greater number of planets than other stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not only planets, but now we're looking at these moons of planets that are potentially habitable. And so, the, you know, the odds seem ever increasing that there should be life in the universe. Right. Now, again, it may be extremely rare. It may be that it's very hard for us to contact us for various reasons. Sure. could be mismatch of timing. could be, you know, any number. Just, just It's big. It, it's very big. It's big, right. <laughs> uh, but it's... It is very hard to believe that we don't have neighbors in the cosmic sense at some level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, if Star Wars showed us anything, <laughs> is that you've got you've got little furry furry bear people on the moon uh, of Endor. Okay. You've got a rebel base on Yavin Four, which yeah. is a moon, not not a planet. That's right. Okay. So you know, so that it, it, there's two examples right there that yeah. I think that we can all agree <laughs> are are very real. I need to use these more often in my, yeah. oh, in my outreach yeah. talks. You yeah. might not be working long if you. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Here's I I think I don't know how we're doing on time, but uh, uh, we're, we're I, we, okay. We're okay. Okay. All right. Good. Because I got another I got another question. So um uh so the vice president uh made a speech mm. uh last week or maybe yeah. the week before saying we're gonna have we're gonna put people back on the moon in the next five oh, years. Oh yeah. And look uh, and honestly like to me I say I say great and but from what I read that was a surprise to some people at at NASA. Is that is that is that feasible? Because we haven't been back as people since nineteen seventy what three? I think, I think two, two something year, like that. Yeah. So it's been it's been it's been a it's been a minute since we've been yeah. back to the moon. Okay. A moon minute. They call so, it. A moon minute. And also, like we also like at the. I, mean, I know that this year we're very close to finally having uh, our own capability of putting men in the sp- or not just men, men and women, people well, into space. Right, as soon as it's fit. But no, but you know, like like there's, I mean, there's uh, uh, the Dragon uh, uh, oh, Orbiter yeah, for yeah, SpaceX, Cre- Cre- and then Dragon, yeah. and then the uh, the Orion, I believe. Right? Is that it? Uh, Orion or, as well as in, Boeing Starliner. Oh, the so Boeing Starliner. Three three potential. Okay, Starliner and and Dragon Crew Dragon are the two that They're are meant to go back and forth to the space station. Right. Orion is. Who's doing that one? Orion is is, is still it's done out of Johnson Space Center. Okay, that's uh, a NASA. That's but it's a, it's still okay. right. We have a contractor, and the sure. right, there's a number. Well, of, I mean, there were con. I mean, there's right. there's always contractors, right? Of I mean, because didn't Boeing build the or or work on the the space shuttle? A lot of yes, yeah. there were so many. I mean, a, a lot, lot of space. That's yeah. right. It's yeah. always so. Nice. But 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 that but the Orion is not is not a private industry. No, initiative. not in the that, same way right, that Starliner Star or, okay. or Crew Dragon are, which right. the intent for both of those has been to build up an industry that's similar to the airline industry, right? Which right. is like if we can fund industry to basically build their own crewed vehicles to a low Earth orbit, then they could use those outside of just the times we need them for tourism, for you know maybe building up an actual low Earth orbit industry. Right. And then you know we would buy tickets effectively or buy buy out the ship. Right. Um, whenever we need. I to hope fly. Boeing is not going to charge extra for the safety uh, uh, safety stuff on the uh, Starliner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like so. peanuts are, are included. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so the I think the 
question about the the speech. I mean, I certainly, you know, had right. Obviously, the, the administration's in, intended goal has been moon then Mars, mm-hmm. and let's do a you know let's do moon in a in a more permanent fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, there, there, you know there's a lot of good reasons to do it that Absolutely. way. Uh, I, I appreciate the you know the the logic behind it. Uh, obviously, doing it in a very short time frame comes with a bunch of caveats. Just you know, again, purely on the my personal perspective and not representing the agency in any way, right? It's it's a huge challenge to do it in a very short time. Money has to match the the right the you know the resources behind that have to match the the sentiment, of course, which is right. is you know a, a big part of it. And and whether of course those pull resources from other missions is always a possibility, which. You know, I certainly have mixed feelings given that, you know, I'm more likely to be one of the missions pulled from than given to. Right. Uh, but, you know, that again, if the, you know, if that's the priority and that's the, the, the intent, then it makes sense to, to do it that way. Uh, I think technically all of these have felt very feasible for a very long time. Yes. Uh, and I think it's always been a question of whether, again, as a nation or as an administration that we've decide to prioritize it in a way that, you know, again, the funding and the resources and everything, and not just for, you know, not for just a short period, but for an extended period, a 10-year period or whatever it might be, exist. Uh, and we have yet to see, of course, the, you know, the the budget rise to the percent of GDP level that it was during Apollo. So it will be a, an interesting challenge to see whether it's still doable in, in a very short span and whether it's doable with you know, what we're going to argue is a, a reasonable level of risk. And, mm-hmm. and of course, where you draw that line kind of varies from person to person and, and, and project to project. But obviously, I would, you know, I don't want to do this and just be like, well, we're going to lose a couple of people, but, you know, we're going to get uh-huh. to the moon. That, you know, that doesn't really seem that acceptable to me yeah. for the sake of expediency. Right. Um, but I'm not the person making that choice. And, you know, I certainly am not an astronaut who has to go fly on. Right. On these vehicles. Yeah. So, but we need to understand. That. And, you know, that's, again, when I think about my own job is a lot of it isn't necessarily fixing every problem. It's about understanding the risks that we've taken with the system we've designed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I have every confidence in, the, you know, the, the folks working on Orion and all the other programs to understand those. But at the end of the day, they are not the ones deciding that it's acceptable level of risk. They're going to say, here's what the risk posture has been. If you want to, do this in a short time frame we need this much more dollars to do it with the same level of risk or we could do it with more risk and less money and all of those are trades that um i you know i'm again i'm hopeful and, and believe that the people are going to make the right choices about that and you mm-hmm. know, not take on too much risk in order to just do it in a short time frame uh i'm, I'm gonna this may be my this may be my last question all right because i know it takes him nine years to get something <laughs> yes um well, we also have some. We have a few. We have a handful of good questions. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then I, this will definitely be my okay. last one. Then, uh, for kids who are interested in getting into your field, mm-hmm. what do, do you have any suggestions for? Yes. Them? Uh, so one of the amazing, wonderful things that's happened, and really since the time I was in school, is uh, the rise of these robotics programs in in middle school and high school. Um, whether it's Vex Robotics or First Robotics or any of these things. Uh, I think that's an incredible way of actually learning engineering skills. And even if you're not necessarily focused, again, in the specifically engineering aspect of it, uh, the fact that there is, you know, the, the funding part of it and a lot of these schools will have social media things, all of those things exist now in the real NASA and the real space programs, right, whether it be private industry or NASA. Uh, and so that's a really incredible skill set to kind of, I'm not going to say get for free, but 
but get at you know at a young age and uh, experience and understand again. So, I mean, so much of this comes down to, and I love NASA, and I you know I'm so glad to work there. But so much of this comes down to finding the thing that you actually enjoy working on. And maybe you realize I don't love this aspect of engineering. I don't like coding, but I really love the mechanical part or I love coding and I don't like dealing with finances, or maybe you're the person who's like, I just love money and I want to do this, <laughs> but I just like, you know what? I like doing the money math and fantastic, right? Finding that out about yourself at an earlier age is certainly helpful. I, I still think it's incredible that we ask people to pick careers at 18 and be like, you're good. Yeah. And figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Very uh, few people are good at picking the career they're going to land in. When they're 18 years old, you know, like... Oh, I did. Uh, you did? Oh, really? sure. You really yeah. wanted to be what you... Oh, when I well, was... I didn't... You know, I knew that I wanted... I thought I wanted to be a filmmaker, but instead... I mean, but I'm... I mean, ultimately, I I wound yeah. up in the business that I wanted to be in. But that was... But I do... But I think that that's rare. I think that yeah. most people don't. I definitely yeah. I think most people don't. I think that most people don't know. Yeah. But you're right about the robotic stuff because, I mean, my son does the first so robotics. Cool. Uh, and is so into it. I'm so jealous. It. The few we've yeah. had, a, and, and at this point, right, we've obviously we're at the point where we're bringing people in, you know, that have done that, have had that experience in high school. Yeah. Uh, and I'm incredibly envious of this sort of just understanding they have of things that I did not have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I mean, it's just it's I yeah. So I I think it's really cool. And uh, again, if you're interested, I think it's a great way to figure out. If you're really interested, if, again, you'd rather do some other aspect of it, uh, but it's just an opportunity that didn't exist cool. you know, 15, 20 years ago. Cool. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah. All right. All right. We're okay. Gonna internet him and then We're gonna inter- get out Yeah. Of here. All right. So, uh, okay. A couple, couple, of, couple of good ones from Facebook. Um, and we can, we can rapid fire these. You don't have to. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Helen uh, Inga Britson. Uh, wants to know uh, what year are they projecting a visit by humans to the red planet? Oh, I, you know, I keep losing track of this a little bit because again, we, we, we've, we've sort of refocused from directly to Mars to moon to, to Mars. Um, so I would expect that it's going to be late 2030s now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to say for sure. Okay. I, I think there is a motivation for us though, in general on the robotic side of the house to sort of get Mars samples back from Mars sure. earlier than later, because once humans start going there, we're going to contaminate the planet in a way that we cannot, mm-hmm. you know, resolve. Sure. Uh, and so if you're really looking for pure evidence of life on Mars in the past or present, uh, it might be the last couple of decades that we have that opportunity. And there are plans to do that, to get, That's to, right. send so a, that to send is, something that is, and then bring them back. We've, I mean, there's been plans, of course, at some level for probably 30, 40 years now, uh, but it, it feels like we're about on the verge of a, a dedicated mission. We just signed a memorandum of uh, intent, I think, with uh, the European Space Agency to do that. So we're going to partner with a bunch of folks to Great. bring back sample to Earth. That's awesome. Okay, uh, Raymond McAnally uh, asks, uh, what is your favorite NASA acronym for something relatively mundane? Oh, boy, what is it? Good... <laughs> you did mention that you guys We love acronyms. Oh, we're yeah. trying to think which That's ones are one. really mundane. Thank you, Raymond. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I think the human space flight has a bunch of them that are always weird. Uh, and I'm trying to think of some of the better examples. I think oh, I'm, I'm going to see the problem is I can't remember the actual contents of the acronyms ever, <laughs> but there's like a, there's like a wharf in the ISS international space station, which is like window observation, 
something like but it's wharf <laughs> it's wharf and I was like, no need there's no need <laughs> well you know you gotta name it after wharf i'm confident from, the bathroom has an acronym that also just is sure. just like short for something but it's like just you could call it a toilet it'd be fine yeah right the the uh human let's see human let's see the uh the uh, uh the whoa, human waste uh ejector capsule the whack yeah. yeah i just i just made that one up the whack thank you um okay so uh just the last one uh from the internet uh from instagram the sean cameron not just any sean cameron yeah. the sean cameron uh asks uh, what sci-fi gadget or form of space travel do you think could become to uh do you think could come to be a la the star trek communicators and voice activated oh good question um i mean obviously we've hit some of those communicators are probably pretty yep doable at this point uh with i mean we had the razor phone guys so that's sort of like the peak star trek <laughs> yeah. era of communication yeah. <laughs> um but uh I mean, they also already did kind of. There's a body scan kind of thing. Yeah, right? true. Yeah, so we yeah. Got that one. I think the one that we're closest to, and I'm going to say, and it, it's sort of cheating because we didn't quite get there, but we're like we're on the verge of it. Uh, is replicators? So I mean, oh, we yeah. certainly are not going to convert energy into matter in the short term, but 3D printed food seems like a very real thing that could come in the next couple of years. Of like, I can take the wow. basic ingredients for food and shoot them out of a nozzle and like make a pizza but out of you know just a handful of chemical ingredients right wow yeah i yeah. can't mm. <laughs> That's delicious great no i th- but I, I think you're right okay uh i have one last question okay. this is this is from elliot this an is elliot question elliot, yeah. an elliot, elliot question Blake. so you the t-shirt that you're wearing people will see this when we uh put the picture up and don't forget to ask about his hat too because okay. oh right did ask okay. about the hat. yeah all right first the t-shirt then yep. the hat okay. t-shirt uh, you're wearing a t-shirt that says, ask me about my feminist agenda. Yes. Which I know uh, was the cover of a uh, Marvel comic, That's Mockingbird right. comic, uh, that, that were, and, and boy, did Marvel and uh, Chelsea Kane, the writer of yeah. that comic, get a whole, whole, a whole hell of a lot of flack mm-hmm. for, which is absolute bullshit, you know, in, 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 my, in my opinion. But let me ask, are you, but the, but the, with beggars, the question well, I guess two questions. What's yeah. your feminist agenda? But the real question is, uh, are you a comic book fan? I am. I, so I grew up on manga because I grew up in Japan. And I think mm. that was my introduction, honestly, to most of this. Mm. Um, and my feminist agenda, and really honestly, is right. I would love, love, love for my field to better represent the reality of the world we live in. And I, I, I think that's the... You know, that's the true sentiment of my mind of when we talk about the problems that the future faced or even the problems that we have to solve in space, um, having a more representative of reality group of people working on the mm-hmm. problem is the best way to get problems that actually solve the reality of the situation that we're in. Uh, and I, I, I watched an amazing uh, talk recently about uh, people who, you know, who have to navigate with like wheelchairs and things like that today and how they are actually in many ways better suited for space travel mm. because they are already familiar with navigating spaces in different ways. And, you know, for some people they're used to using colostomy bags and all these other things that like, you know, astronauts have to use diapers and all these other weird things. Right. Um, and I thought like, that's a really incredible way. I had just not seen the world no. in that way before. Yeah, that's really interesting. I and I thought that's that. a really fascinating way. And of course there is probably aspects of the design for space things and not necessarily that, benefit them immediately but benefit all of us Mm -hmm. right that because they're familiar and see the world in a certain way and you know a colleague of mine who had had worked in uh, in the previous administration she was talking 
about how because she was from um, you know a, a family of immigrants, one of the first things that she worked on was making sure that the documentation that goes along with applying for the citizenship pro- process comes in many languages, and it's just such a part of her her life now to think, does this exist in other languages so mm-hmm. that people can use it? Uh, or like her parents applied for for citizenship, and there was just this big gap in like waiting for the results. And she's like, can't there be an online thing so at least we know that the documentation made it okay? Right. And those experiences are again experiences that if I came in and I was like, I can design the great system, I might not think about that specific challenge. Mm-hmm. And so I always think it's really you know it's there's so much of this again, not that the, you know people we have aren't great engineers, but we just can't perceive of every outcome and everything right. And talk about the failures of space. And, you know, I think one of the great quotes is what we have is a failure of imagination because it's so hard. There's so many possibilities. Yeah. But again, if you bring in all these different people with different experiences, it's easier for each of us to imagine one or two different scenarios and try to have, you know, three people imagine hundreds of different scenarios. Absolutely true. Um, So I know it's it's I love again. I love the period we're living in. Yeah, there's some, you know, challenges and everything else. But like we're bringing together all these thoughts and like experiences that just weren't part of life. 20 years ago and I know it's difficult like I'm still wrapping my head around all of it it's not easy but it's so fun as like a person who wants to grow to be like oh I keep learning new things constantly yeah. I'd never seen the world in these different ways before and yep. what a great I mean it just fascinates me right yeah. like, so I, I'm again I'm, I'm hugely optimistic about the future but I think it also as I joke with my dad if you work on space, you have to be optimistic about the future because everything is always five or ten years away. <laughs> and you have to fundamentally believe we're going to make it five or ten years uh, to get to those points. Well, that's what I like about science fiction is Absolutely. that even the dystopic science fiction is fundamentally optimistic because we're still around. That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. Okay. And now, Gary, for you. The hat. The hat. The cap. Yeah. What's going on? I'm wearing a, a UW Huskies that's cap. That's yeah. what I thought. University of this Washington. This is my undergrad. I went there for aerospace. Yeah. Okay. You're representing the Representing. Okay. All right. Very good. Dude, All right. Thank you. Thank you. So much for being here. Yeah. That was fun. Every time I talk to you or hear you talk, it's great. And you said something about learning just a minute ago. It struck me while I'm sitting here listening to you, going from project to project. You're still learning stuff in your oh, field. Oh, usually. Like every day. And that's most, the fun. Most people out there, like, I am an accountant, and numbers aren't going to change that much until you invent your new numbers. Right. Talk about earlier. No, I don't know if that's – you know what? Here's the thing. I think every job has that. Uh, I think every – I really do think, right? Like, I mean, I think we can all improve our craft. It doesn't mean that it's easier in my job, for sure, because improving my craft leads to a real dramatic change, right? Like, I can have a different job. I can work – people are like, oh, he's – good enough to work on Mars sample return, or we're going to have him help design this Europa submersible. So it certainly has more immediate impact, but there's always things, I mean, there's always things to learn in every field. And I love visiting, for example, you know, the few times I've been able to visit a set, I'm fascinated by how the camera technology works. And I will just chat with the, the crew for hours about how the jib is counterbalanced and like how they figure out how to operate it because it's an object on, on a far arm um so i think all the fields have it again maybe it's harder as an accountant to be like i dealt with different numbers or whatever and therefore i should be promoted or moved to a different position uh, and i certainly am I'm, you know very happy that that my my field and, and my uh colleagues you know will will recognize my attempt at growth and you know and, and getting more experience 
But I, I'd like to believe that every field has it. I agree every field has it. But you are in a field where you guys are learning something about something that we down on earth have zero knowledge about. You're going out to places. It's like somebody just opened a math book as an accountant. And it's like, oh, oh my God, did you know there was a whole different system of numbers but think and how weights amazing and measures? When Newton and other folks were like calculus. Yes. Have you considered yes. this kind of math? Absolutely. Yeah. But most Bananas. people don't go to work as Newton. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, people that's aren't true. Newton at work. I don't know. I love what you guys do. I think that's I the too, future. I, here, it's amazing. Can I just say, though, I think you, nope. you talk about as the, <laughs> the us, the us and, and you guys. But I think one of the incredible things that we, we live in this moment is that it is now an experience that all of us get to participate in, right? That not only, and I, I mean that in, in the most literal sense, we literally are publishing the photos from Mars and other planets within 24 hours of their arrival at Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, you know, we are all as a society able to see the exploration that's happening to get the, you know, the papers or the summaries of papers on, on Twitter and and, and, you know, as flawed as, as social media has, certainly the, the flaws have become much more apparent maybe in the last few years, but as flawed as they are, there's still this amazing participatory thing that is not an us, like, it's it's really not, truly, my job is not like, oh, I get to see things and like, haha I've known about life on Mars, I just can't tell you. It's that <laughs> literally you're able to see the same pictures that I'm seeing, yeah. usually within minutes of my seeing them. It's well, astounding. thank you for helping us see those pictures that we wouldn't see. I'm yeah. not gonna. I'm not going to stop thinking that you have a cooler job than most people in the yeah. world. You can keep talking. <laughs> I, I you appreciate can keep that. Trying to explain things, it's not gonna work. I'm on me. very happy to do it. So I'm, <laughs> I right. agree. For me, it's one of the coolest jobs I could I can possibly imagine. But I also I think what one of the things that makes it so cool is that we get to share it with people. Absolutely. Okay, uh, all we right. can all agree with that. I we think so. All, all right, it's time then ultimate. for the ultimate question. Kill him with mm. it. Kill him the with ultimate it. question. Uh, where can people find you on social media? So I am a tweets out loud on Twitter and Instagram, and that's basically it. Honestly, though, if you really want to learn more about uh, NASA, the NASA.gov website and at NASA on both uh, again Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook and on basically every platform that I, Tumblr even, um, you can find all that stuff. And I, they, they do such an incredible job at storytelling. They really do. Uh, and just, you know, I, yeah, there's so much that I still get to learn from those folks that I am very appreciative that, that we have such an incredible team. Fantastic. Excellent. Gary. Yep. Uh, I you. am, uh, I'm reading my card again. <laughs> okay. Soon I won't even read this card. I'm gonna, yeah. I will, I'm waiting that for that day. On Twitter, I'm at Gary A. Williams. Mm-hmm. And on Instagram, I'm Gary Anthony Williams. So good. So good. Elliot. Yes. I already talked about your book, Create yep. 100 Cocktails. Yep. And that is on Amazon. Amazon.com in print. And if you like a PDF, you can get that on Gumroad. Instagram, you are? On Instagram and on Twitter. I am at Elliot Blake, E-L-L-I-O-T-B-L-A-K-E. Where's our email? We, our email is at daydrinkingwithgaryandelliot.com. Elliot at gmail.com. Are we lucky enough to have a website? <laughs> we certainly are. It's daydrinkingwithgaryandelliot.simplecast.fm. Should people subscribe to us? Oh, hells yes, they should. Um, they should, uh, yeah. But but before that, oh, before they subscribe. Don't subscribe yet. No, no, don't subscribe <laughs> yet. On. Just hold on. If you're going to follow us uh, on Instagram, you'll yep. want to find us at daydrinkingwithgaryandelliot. And uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, where we're very erudite. Yeah. Uh, uh, follow us uh, at Gary and Elliot. Now, 
If you want to subscribe to this. But should they? Oh, they should. Okay. And here's why. Why? Well, first of all, because it's we're very entertaining and informing. Oh, amazing. So let's let's start right there. But but the other reason why is because if you like the show and you have been uh, you've been a listener, you're, or maybe this is your first time and you've thought, hey, this is a great episode, hit that subscribe button. What that does is it helps us find more subscribers. I don't know how it, how that works. Man. It's some kind of algorithm. It's space. But it's but but that's how it works. And the other thing that you can do to help us find more listeners uh, and to help us keep doing this show is to give us a lovely five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you're listening. Uh, we're there for you, yeah. um, and uh, and we thank you for listening. And, Bobak, thank you so much for being here today. It was, it was fantastic, a fantastic... Brother. Thanks, guys. Yeah, that really was really fantastic, fun. Man. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Uh, guys, that's it. We now know everything about space. We do. And the other side of space, oh, I promise. Yeah. It's yep. over there. It's, it's over, over there. there. But while you're in space and are on Earth, if you're day drinking, remember to do so responsibly. responsibly.